turn with me tonight in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to break into the chapter. We'll come to the verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 12. was a passage that was read a couple of weeks ago when we had Jonathan Whiteside who had come to testify and there's a few thoughts that I had if we adapted them for tonight added some new material 1 Samuel chapter 6 and we're going to read as I've said from verse 12 1 Samuel 6 verse 12 and the kine, or you could literally read, and the cows. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh, and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. The lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. They lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. And the ark came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemite and stood there, for there was a great stone. And they cleaved the wood of the cart and offered the kine a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with it, for in the jewels of gold were, and put them in the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt sacrifices and offerings the same day unto the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines return for a trespass offering unto the Lord, for Ashdod one, for Gaza one, for Ashkelon one, for Gath one, for Ekron one. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belongeth to the five lords, both of fence cities and of country villages, even unto the great stone of Abel, whereon they set down the ark of the Lord. Which stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua the Bethshemite? And he smote the men of Bethshemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people fifty thousand and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented, because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before this Holy Lord God, and to whom shall he go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down, and fetch it up to you. Amen. We know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and his inerrant word. Now my text tonight is taken from Judges chapter 6 verses 19 
and 20. And my subject this evening is learning lessons from the slaughter of the men of Beth Shemesh. According to 1 Samuel chapter 6, the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant from the children of Israel in the field of battle. And they brought it to Ashdod. And they set it up before Dagon. Dagon was a fish god. He was an idol. Half the body of a man, half the body of a fish. Next morning, Dagon had fallen before the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistine priests set him back in his place. Of course, they said nothing. Next morning, the same thing had happened. Dagon once again was fallen in his face before the Ark of the Covenant. Only this time the head of Dagon had broken off. Uh, so were his arms and his hands. Only the stump remained. And for seven whole months, while the Ark was in the land of the Philistines, the hand of the Lord was heavy against them as a people. The people were smitten with emeralds. The places were overrun with mice. And this was true of every place where the ark was sent to. True in Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, Gath, and even Gaza. So much so that there was a cry went up amongst the Philistines, send the ark away. The Philistines' clergy were called for. The charmers were consulted. How do we get rid of the ark? They were told, put it on a new cart. And put a trespass offering in a coffer upon the cart. And in the coffer put five golden mice, five golden emeralds. Then hitch up two milk cows, two milk cows that have newly calved. And attach them to the cart. And let's see what way, if any, the cows travel. Look with me at verse 12. It says in the kind took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh, and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. We're learning here that the cows took the straight road toward the town of Beth Shemesh on the border of the land of Israel between themselves and the Philistines. Now, Beth Shemesh is a priestly town. It, it was the home of the Levites in the territory of Judah. The men of Bethshemesh were reaping their wheat harvest. They heard the noise. Cows were lowing. They looked up and saw the ark. The ark stopped in the field of Joshua, a Bethshemite. It stopped beside a big stone. <coughs> and we're told that the Levites cut up the wood of the ark killed the two cows, put the jewels and the Ark of the Covenant on the big stone and offered a burnt sacrifice and made a, an offering to the Lord. This was a day of joy, a day of gladness, a day of rejoicing. The symbol of the Lord's presence has returned. However, sadly and quickly, the day of gladness turned into a day of grief. The day of rejoicing turned into a day of regret. For in an instant, 50,070 men of Beth Shemesh were slaughtered. And we've got the right to ask why. Look with me at verse 19. And he, that is God, 
smote the man of Beth Shemesh. Why? Because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. It seems so severe. Seems unfair, does it not? Seems harsh. For anyone who saw the film called Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones played by Harrison Ford, the final scene in that film shows soldiers from the Third Reich lifting the lid of the Ark, and on the spot, thousands died. And again we asked why. And that scene could have just been lifted out of the Bible as to what happened, the men of Beth Shemesh. Because the men of Beth Shemesh forgot certain lessons, important lessons that they should have learned about the relationship to God. That's why they asked the question in verse 20, and the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? I want us to think tonight for the time that we have of lessons from the slaughter of the men of Beth Shemesh. And I've tried to give a very simple outline. I want you to think first of all of the sin of the men of Beth Shemesh. Look again at verse 19. And he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. That was their sin. They looked into the ark of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? You see, in order to do so, to look into the ark of the Lord, they had to take the lid off. Now, the lid of the ark was called the mercy seat. The lid was made of pure gold. It had two golden cherubims looking down, face toward the ground in that lid. And that was the place, of course, where the sprinkled blood was placed by the high priest once per year on the Day of Atonement. Now think of the men of Bethshemesh, because they were daring to approach God apart from the blood sacrifice or without the blood sacrifice. They were taking away the place and the role of atonement. They were doing away with the need for a blood atonement in order to approach God. They were approaching God in a way that was contrary to God's word. They were being disrespectful to the doctrine of the shed blood to the doctrine of the sprinkled blood. Let's remember the ark itself as a picture of the Lord Jesus. It was made from wood, speaking of his humanity. It was overlaid with pure gold that speaks of his deity. And it had this lid called the mercy seat, a lid of pure gold with two golden cherubims, and that speaks of Christ's ministry. Doesn't the, the Bible tell us in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 9 and verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Let me just read. It says in Hebrews 9 and verse 7, 
But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. We're told by Peter, but you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. See, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, Israel's high priest, he went once per year into the Holy of Holies. And as he entered into that place, the second compartment of the tabernacle, he couldn't do so without the blood of sacrifice. And when he entered in, he had to sprinkle the blood and the mercy seat, make an atonement for himself and for the people. In other words, God taught them how to approach him. Nobody is allowed to approach me without the blood sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 gives us that information about the ark. You can read it for yourself, verses 4 right through to verse 12 or 13. And we do highly value the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. The the apostle himself uh, could say in Romans chapter 3 and in the verse um, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And let's remember the Lord Jesus came into the world to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The Lord Jesus came in to put away the wrath of God by his once and for all sacrifice and the shedding of his blood. We sometimes talk in theological terms about propitiation. And propitiation just means to to cover over, to to deal with, to to appease. And the Lord Jesus covered over and dealt with and appeased the wrath of God by a perfect covering, the covering of his precious blood. And by his life and death, he provided a perfect righteousness. He provided a perfect redemption. he, He provided a perfect right upon which to come and approach before God. And the moment the men of Bethshemesh lifted off the lid, because they had to lift off the lid to look inside, they were setting the mercy seat aside. They were taking away the right to approach God the way God had commanded, by the way of blood. You know, I was thinking about the men of Bethshemesh, I was thinking about the people of Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland's a, a, a privileged place, isn't it? We thank the Lord that we've still got gospel preachers in almost every town and village. We've got homes where the Bible is read and revered. We have have outreach. We have have open-air work going on. And, of course, the gospel heritage stretches away back to the times of St. Patrick. We were talking about St. Patrick yesterday, uh, coming home especially in the car. And, you know, many in this island know about Christ. Christ died and was buried and he rose again from the dead. They they know that only Christ can forgive sin. 
that they know that we can't approach God apart from Christ and without Christ. And we can't approach God except on the ground of the shed blood. Acts 4 and 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. People have been taught this in Sunday school, in Bible class, in church. And yet despite what people know and have been taught, how easy it is to set Christ and God's way aside. Oh, they have time for pleasure, time for pursuits, time for their possessions, yet little or no time or regard for Christ. Imagine knowing how to approach God. Knowing that only on the basis of the shed blood can they be accepted by God. And yet happy to set it aside. And I'm convinced in what it says because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Their sin was setting the mercy seat and the blood sacrifice aside. Now, is that your sin tonight? Are you trying to know God? Trying to live for God, to love God, to serve God, to be in a relationship with God apart from Christ and Christ's shed blood? Remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Not only think about the sin of the men of Beth Shemesh, but think about the stupidity or the silliness of the men of Beth Shemesh. I want you to look at verse 15 in particular. It says, And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord. Now just underline the words. The Levites. See, let's remember this is a day and an hour of blessing. A day of rejoicing. Yet how quickly, on that very day, whenever the Levites took down of the ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with it were in the jewels of gold were and put them on the great stone and the men of Bashemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. Yet how quickly sin appears, even in a day of blessing, in a day of great joy. There's sin against the Lord. Here's men enjoying God, renewing a fellowship, the return of God's presence and the symbol of his power. And yet they're engaging in this godless act of looking into the ark. How quickly sin appears even in the day of blessing. Remember in the book of Acts, Acts 6, it's the context, a day of revival for the church, spirit of God as it were, souls are being saved. And what do we read in Acts 6 and 1? And there arose a murmuring. We'll pause there. Murmuring's a sin. Here was a spirit of complaint, a, a, a charge of neglect. In the midst of revival, there's discontentment and there's discord. And you see, sin can strike even in times of great blessing. Satan is busy. Sin is so deceitful. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin. How quickly sin appears, even in the day of blessing. The men of Bethshemesh forgot that. Notice that good men can behave stupidly and in an act of folly. As I've said, 
references made continually to the men of Beth Shemesh. And if you link it up again with 15 and the Levites. See, this was a Levite town. This was a town full of Levites. And that was the only tribe that was allowed to look after the ark. Remember the tabernacle in the wilderness, in the middle of the camp, when the cloud moved? It was the Levites that came to dismantle the tabernacle. They were only ones that were allowed to do it. Nobody else was allowed to touch it. And one of the jobs that they had was to cover the ark with a blue veil. They had to carry it, not on a new cart, but in staves. Remember the rings? The three on either side. And they were to put these rods through the rings and carry it on their shoulders. And they were told at that time, never look into it. They were taught and told how to handle the ark. And that would have been handed down by word of mouth and by the law of God from Levite to Levite. And here's good men, Levites, and they're behaving stupidly with an act of folly. And you see, good men can be wrong. Good men can behave in a sinful way. Good men can do wrong. Remember in Galatians 2, verse 11, we read that Paul withstood Peter to his face. Peter was in the blame. Peter was in the wrong. Peter was acting sinfully. He even led Barnabas astray with him in the town of Galata whenever certain Jews came from Jerusalem. Paul was there to say, Peter, you're wrong. Peter was a saved man. Peter was sanctified. Peter was a good man. But on this time, at this occasion, he was wrong. He hadn't the mind of the Lord. He hadn't the leading of the Spirit. And I'd remind us tonight, I say to my own soul, don't build expectations in men. Don't put your trust in men. Because good men on occasions can err. Good men can let you die. The only one to trust ultimately, exclusively, is the Lord. But notice something else here about their silliness. They were slow to repent. They were slow to admit they were wrong. I, I, I'm amazed at this. Now, now look at verse 19. It says, Because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter, we're told how many, 50,070. And the men of Bathsheba said, We're sorry, Lord. We're wrong. Lord, we're repenting of this sin. No, here's what they asked. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And then, and to whom shall he? See, they're personifying the Ark of the Covenant. And to whom shall he go up from us? And then we read, they sent messengers to the inhabitants of kirjath Jerem, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up to ye. They didn't say, Lord, we're sorry. Lord, we're repenting. Lord, we're asking forgiveness. Remember what happened on the very day that the ark returned. It came in a wooden cart. And what did they do? They burnt the wooden cart. 
See, they had no intention that the wooden cart was going any further. In their mind, the ark had come to stay. And yet now here's trouble because of wrongdoing and sin on their part. And what do they do? Instead of repenting, they call to the men of Kerchalskir, come and take it away. They want a distance put between them and the Lord. They, 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 they have no desire to put their, their wrong away or to admit their sin. See, even good men can be slow to repent. Here's the silliness of the men of Bethshemesh. They shouldn't have looked into the ark. They forgot what they were taught. Sin in the midst of blessing. Good men who had sinned and yet slow to repent. Notice something else thirdly, very quickly. The shame of the men of Beth Shemesh. Whenever we read the words, looked into the ark of the Lord, I wonder if you ever asked yourself, young people, when they lifted off the lid called the mercy seat, what did they see? Do you know what they saw in the ark? They saw three things. I, I can tell you what was in the ark. The two tables of stone, the Ten Commandments. They saw the pot of manna. And they saw Aaron's rod that budded. Turn over there to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4. Mention has been made here of the tabernacle and the things that were in it, the furnishings. Look at verse 4, it says, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, one, and Aaron's rod that budded, two, and the tables of the covenant. And if you just want the reference, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. You see, there was three things in the ark. There was the law of God, there was the pot of manna, and there was Aaron's rod that budded. Now I want you to think of the shame of the men of Beth Shemesh. Not only their sin and their silliness, but their shame. Because when they looked into the ark, they saw face to face the precepts of God. Here's the stone's tablets with the law of God written by the finger of God. They looked upon the law of God. You see, let's remember that the law of God was never intended to save us. God didn't give us the law as Ten Commandments and say, keep these and you'll be saved and go to heaven. He gave us the law to show us how sinful we are, to show us what we're breaking. Sin remembers the transgression of the law. People are taught today in certain places, just live by the golden rule, love God, love your neighbour, and if you do so, you'll go to heaven. I want to tell you, you can't love God apart from Jesus Christ. And you can't love your neighbour or love yourself apart from Jesus Christ. And you won't and can't go to heaven because the law was never designed to save us. The law was designed to show us our sin. We're to measure ourselves by the law of God. 
And the first thing that stared out at them was the law of God. That was to remind them of sin. The Bible says in Galatians that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. See, Jesus Christ was the only one that kept the law perfectly. He was the only perfect human being that ever lived. He placed himself when he was born under the rule of the law, kept it perfectly in his precepts. He purchased a righteous life. He earned righteousness by a sinless life. He also kept the law perfectly in its penalty. The law, remember, condemns souls to death. The soul of sinneth that shall die. The wages of sin is death. We as sinners by nature and practice had broke every commandment and thought and word and deed. The first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth. Paul says, I had not known sin except the law said, thou shalt not covet. See, we're cursed by the law. The law rises up to condemn us. I hear people telling us today, they told us yesterday, but we're, we're doing our best to get to heaven. I'm a member of the church. I read my Bible. I pray. I'm a good person. And yet the truth is that they've never looked upon the law of God. Because these people were saying as they looked upon the law, we don't need a righteousness to come to God. We don't need redemption by blood. We don't need Christ to keep the law for us. And yet how wrong they were. They not only saw the law, but they saw the manna. Speaks of the provision of God. Remember the manna was the bread that God fed them with for 40 years in the wilderness. Why was the pot of manna in the ark? Just to remind them, Jesus Christ was coming. Who would say, I'm the bread of life. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Your bread is a staple of life. It's a symbol of life. Jesus has come to give abundant life and eternal life. Life in the ground of the shed blood. They also saw the rod that budded. And it speaks of the power of God. Life from the dead. Resurrection life. God has power to raise the dead. And we could tie that into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has power to, to deliver us from the, the, the bondage and tyranny of our sin. He has power to free us. To whom the Son sets free is, is free indeed. I, I think about Freddie Mercury. I, I never knew him. I have just heard of him. He, he was a godless man. I think he was the leader of our rock band. And one of his songs was, and I quote, I want to break free. Now I think of him bound to a life of drug addiction, a life of drunkenness, a life of immorality. And the truth is, I want to break free, but the truth is he couldn't by himself. He had no power. He, he was powerless. He was bound. He needed the power of God. He needed the Son of God to come and set him free. Here they are looking in the power of God. Even power to condemn them and to consume them. And they're looking in that power without the covering of the blood. They're looking on the symbol of life without coming the way of life. They're looking on the naked law of God who will just condemn them and show them their sinfulness. And that's their shame. And notice the slaughter of the men of Bethshemesh. 
It says, even he smote of the people fifty thousand and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented. The men of Bethshemesh. As I've said, this is a priestly town. It's full of Levites. Men who should have known better. You see, in Joshua 21, verses 9 and 10, when it talks about the territory of Judah, this town called Bethshemesh, it's there in Joshua 21, 9 and 10, this town was given to the Levites. And the Levites knew how to approach God. The Levites knew what was in the ark. They were instructed in how to treat the ark. There's to be reverence and godly fear. They knew God was holy. That's why they said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Yet despite what they knew, they failed to act. Now, is that true of you tonight? Uh, you know, I, I think, of the many in the Free Presbyterian Church that know in their own hearts and minds that they're sinners, they've got souls, they need to be saved, that only Jesus Christ can save them, that God's salvation is only found in Jesus Christ alone. They know the good news, they've heard it many times, and yet to date, to date, they have failed to act. Isn't that a great travesty? Isn't that the height of folly and iniquity? Who is able to stand? The reckless sinner will not stand before God. The self-righteous sinner will not stand. I hear people today saying, well, I'll go and stand before God on that final day. and I'll tell God, well, I'm not too bad. And, and um, I'll tell God this and that and the other. They're talking nonsense. Because really, they know in their heart they need to be perfect. They need to be sinless. And in and of themselves, they can't be perfect and they can't be sinless. We're only declared perfect and declared sinless in Christ. The righteousness of Christ is put to our account. What about the self-religious? I tell God this and that and the other and how good I was and what I did. And yet what they need is something that they don't have. They need someone to keep the law of God perfectly for them. They need to, someone to introduce them to the bread of life. They need to know the power of God in their life. And yet, despite what they need and what they know, there's a failure to act. And in that day, there was a slaughter. Now I close with this thought. The Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. The hymn writer urges, and the voice of Jesus calls you, be in time. You know what you need to do. And yet, putting it off to tomorrow or another time, failure to act upon it, could lead to your downfall, your spiritual slaughter. Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you can it be? None of us knows what a day will bring forth. These men knew, but failed to act. And that's why they were slaughtered. Their sin, they tried to do away with the blood sacrifice. We've thought about their silliness. We've thought about their shame. You think about their slaughter. 
and learn this. You'll not be able to stand before God without Christ or his blood sacrifice or his righteousness or his power. Without Christ, we'll be consigned to eternity forever and ever without him. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to your heart this evening.